Welcome to the Creekwood Church Podcast. Creekwood is growing and we are so excited about the Future West Campus. If you're interested in learning more about the building project, visit creekwoodchurch.com beyond or click the Beyond button on the Creekwood Church app. We hope this message inspires and encourages your faith. Man, let's, let's go to God's Word today um, because God's Word challenges us. I love being challenged. I don't know about you. I just love being challenged. I, I firmly believe that if something does not challenge you, it will not change you. And I believe there's nothing more challenging, nothing better for our souls than the word of God. And so today, this is where we want to go. I, I definitely am someone who enjoys a challenge in my life. I don't know if you're that kind of person, but I find myself gravitating towards things in life that challenge me. I enjoy it. I enjoy the the problem that is put before me and trying to figure it out. But what I really do not enjoy is when I can't figure that thing out. Anybody out there like that? Like you, you, you just, for some reason, if there's something that is not clicking just right, you're like, okay, I'm done with that. I'm done with you. I'm done with this, whatever it may be. Um, I'm a very competitive person, but if I can't, if I know, like I don't have a chance at being competitive, I'm not doing that. I don't want to do it. I, uh, if you know me at all, you know um, I'm, I'm a golfer. I love to play the game of golf. Um, I, I played golf in high school, and now um, I just play um, just for fun. But when I go out there, I want to shoot the best score that I possibly can. And for the I can't hit it where I want, I just need to put in some practice, and that way I can get, to go, go, get going where I need it to go. But recently, uh, my game has become really inconsistent. If you're a golfer, you know what I'm talking about. This game is difficult. It's hard to hit the ball where you want it to go. Using a crooked stick and a round ball and trying to aim it somewhere, wherever you want it to go and get it to do that. And so I decided for the first time ever that I was going to go see a coach, go see a swing instructor. Because I needed to figure out, I, I realized that I couldn't do this on my own. I needed professional help. So I go see the swing coach, and I'm expecting all kinds of things in my head. You know what it's like when you haven't been somewhere. You've got this Rolodex of expectations that you have already played out in your head. And so I get there, and we have a conversation about what's going on in my game. And then he tells me to do something I was not expecting. He takes me over to this really simple setup. He's got these alignment sticks that he set on the ground, two of them. He said, listen, here's what I want you to do. I want you to take your club and I want you to set up to the ball like you're going to hit a shot. Like, okay, that makes sense. And I'm expecting to hit a bunch of golf balls here so he can examine me and he can tell me what's going on, but he doesn't do that. He tells me to set up. And so I set up to the golf ball. He says, okay, go ahead and act like you're going to hit a shot. So we set up to the golf ball and he starts looking at everything. That's interesting. I never hit a golf ball. Before we even got started, he wanted to make sure that I had the proper setup. It was as if I had never played the game before, as if I had never done anything before in the game of golf. It was like I was starting over from scratch as if I knew nothing. So we set up to the golf ball and we went through this checklist that he had. We checked all of the basic, simple things that you need to have correct before you hit the golf ball. And so we checked my grip. Is my grip correct? Am I, pla- are my, am I placing my hands on the club correctly? We checked the stance. We checked my alignment. We checked the ball position. 
We checked where my weight was. We checked all of these simple things before I even hit a shot. To my surprise, I never, in the first 45 minutes of seeing this coach, I didn't hit one golf ball. Coach said that 95% of swing mistakes can be fixed with the proper setup. It's interesting. And to my surprise, I had something wrong in my setup. I was shocked. I mean, I've been playing this game for now over half of my life. You would think I could do something as simple, as fundamental, as set up correctly. But we noticed that my body lines and where I was aiming the golf ball were two completely different things. And when you have two different areas, different ways that you're aiming, you have, you're creating a really big mess for yourself. He started laughing. He said, listen, man, golf is simple. It's all in the setup on the setup. What's really interesting is that of the millions of people that play this game, how low of a percentage of golfers actually understand and know what the proper setup is. And so if you know a golfer or you're a golfer yourself, you know that this creates a lot of problems. So we've got some very emotional golfers out there. <laughs> you got golfers that are angry, Okay. Some very angry golfers. You got some golfers that are very frustrated, all right? We got a lot of uh, very, very sweet, sweet spouses in this room who get an earful about that golfer that came home that just can't seem to, for some reason, be a professional golfer, even though they can't do something as simple as setup. Confused, frustrated, losing their minds, some of them even losing their salvation over a game. I've got friends where, man, they play this game four times a year and they have these crazy expectations that they should be hitting all of these crazy nice shots. They should be the next Jack Nicholas. They go out there, they can't even do something as simple as set up and they're breaking clubs over their legs, losing their minds. And even worse, some of them decide this game is not for them. And they quit completely. Quit completely. It's all in the setup. Why? Because without proper instruction, many who are capable will never meet their potential. Listen, you may not be able to relate to this because you're not a golfer, but chances are if you're in this room, if you're joining us online, if you're trying to be a follower of Jesus of any kind, chances are you can relate to the feeling of something being a little off. That no matter your best efforts, despite all the things that you've tried to do, you just can't seem to figure out what's missing. What am I missing? Why am I not getting the results that I want to get? Why am I not seeing that going in the direction I saw my life going? What is happening? Why is it working for them and not me? And like golfers, you can relate to the feeling of being frustrated, confused, angry, A lot of us have experienced or know people that have even decided to quit the faith because they just can't seem to figure it out. Even something as simple, as essential, as fundamental, yet as misunderstood as the subject of prayer 
become really, 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 really confusing. Listen, I grew up in church. I've heard all kinds of thoughts, ideas, theologies on prayer. Yet for the most part, most of my life, I was still spinning my wheels wondering, what is it? Why do we do it? How do we do it? Why doesn't it seem to be working? I've heard that prayer is supposed to be conversation, right? That's what prayer is. Prayer is just a conversation. Well, that seems simple enough. The problem is, um, if prayer is a conversation, that means um, we should probably know how to do that because we're relational beings, right? Well, that's assuming that we know how to have healthy relationships. Knowing that the current stat says that over 50% of people right now currently who decide to commit to a relationship for the rest of their lives will end in divorce. So maybe it's not as simple as a conversation. Maybe we shouldn't assume that even though we were created to be relational people, that we understand how to have healthy relationships. Well, prayer is like, man, it's gotta be like us having this conversation with God so that we can tell him what's going on. How's God gonna know what I need if I don't tell him, right? We've gotta be able to tell him. We've gotta, we've gotta go in with expectation. We gotta name it and claim it, right? I don't know about that. Because if we know our Bibles, we know that the Bible tells us that our Father knows what we need before we even ask. So if that's the case, then maybe God isn't like this Chick-fil-A in the sky where we order what we need, we go through, he gives us what we've asked for, says my pleasure, and we go on our way. (laughs) Yeah, but... That's how we treat prayer a lot of times. We've got this Rolodex of expectation when it comes to prayer. And when that expectation is not met, we're left frustrated, confused, angry. And even worse, what my fear would be is that you completely leave faith behind. Because what if God doesn't answer your prayers? What if you are trying and trying and trying and despite your best efforts, despite how many hours you serve, despite how many offerings you give, despite how many times you've prayed, you don't seem to be able to be consistent with it. You don't seem to be able to get it to work like the person over there that you see, man, the person on Facebook that just keeps telling you how many prayers God has answered for them in their life and you're like, well, what's wrong with me? What are we missing? What if prayer wasn't what we thought it was? What if prayer was something different? What if prayer was never intended to be for God? What if, prayer, what if God doesn't need your prayers? What if prayer wasn't designed so that we can get things from God? What if prayer wasn't to inform God about your life, but rather to invite God into your life? See, I think it is. 
I think prayer is a little bit more simple than what we've made it out to be. I think we've complicated prayer. And I think despite our best efforts, like the crazed golfer who will pick up any tip from anybody and try it out, we've picked up all of these different theologies and ideas about what prayer is and we've made it out to be something it was never intended to be. What if prayer, like this crazy game of golf is all in the setup. It's all in the setup. So here's what I want to do with us today. Let's go to Matthew chapter six. Matthew chapter six. I love Matthew chapter six. If you don't know this part of the Bible, Matthew's chapter five through seven are one of the most cherished things that we have in our Bible. It's what we call the Sermon on the Mount. This is one of the longest recorded teachings of Jesus. I love this. And so right here, we get rabbi, we get teacher Jesus. In fact, as he begins the Sermon on the Mount, the Bible says, and he sat down and he taught them. In other words, what is about to happen, what takes place from chapters five through seven is Jesus himself, the son of God, teaching everybody who will listen what it looks like to be a follower, what it looks like to live a righteous life, what it looks like to do things as simple as prayer. What's cool is in Matthew chapter six, starting in verse five, Jesus talks about prayer. He teaches us about prayer. So this morning, let's see what Jesus says. Verse five, this is what he said. He says, and when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corner that they may be seen by others. But truly I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you pray, go into your room, shut the door, And pray to your father who is in secret and your father who is in secret will reward you. Now, before we read the rest of this here, here's what I want you to notice about what Jesus does. I love this because just like this coach, when I went to see him about my golf game, before I even hit a ball, he said, let's check the setup. It's all in the setup. Before Jesus even gets into what it looks like to pray, he says, hey, first, let's get some things correct. Let me tell you what not to do. In other words, let's check the setup. The first person, the first people, the, growth, the first thing that Jesus addresses are these hypocrites. And instantly, because we see the word hypocrite, we think that can't be me. It's not me. Well, guess what? The people who were listening to Jesus give this live thought the same thing. Uh, Not me. No, sir, not me. Hypocrites are, uh, there's an interesting origin here. You got to understand that in this ancient world at this time, when Jesus is speaking to this group of people, that you've got a mixture of different cultures here. You've got the old, really, really old Jewish people who are now a part of this new Greco-Roman world, and they are being infused with all kinds of different things, these Greeks. Because they're being infused and because the Greeks, man, they, they honored really old traditional things. They let the Jews practice their religion. So you still had things like synagogues at this time. And in these synagogues, you had these religious old school Jews. And they would stand in the synagogue and they would offer their prayers to God. 
So you would walk into church and somebody would just be praying. Not a weird thing to see in church, right? If you walked into Creekwood and Pastor Stephen was standing praying, you wouldn't be like, what's wrong with that guy? You're like, ah, pastor's praying, makes sense, right? I want you to notice what Jesus is pointing out here. Hypocrite is a a Greek word. It's rooted in Greek. Hypocrites were actors, actors who wore masks. You know what actors were motivated by? You know what they love to do? They love to perform. They love to be seen. They loved loved for people to come and watch them. It was about them. Jesus says, when, when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites to be seen, stand in the street corners, pray aloud. It's not about you. See, when we misunderstand prayer and we get the setup incorrect, we use prayer as this strange measuring tool to determine how spiritually, how spiritual we are, how close we are to God. And we use that to measure ourselves against other people. You ever notice that? No, not, not you, right? I did. I remember my first uh, family like Thanksgiving at my in-laws right after I graduated from Bible college. I'm now Pastor Matt officially. And it was like all of a sudden like something changed like in my head. It's like all of a sudden I was aware that everyone else knew how spiritual I was supposed to be. So at Thanksgiving that year, my father-in-law was like, Matt, would you like to pray? And I'm like, oh my goodness. It was like the phone call I got yesterday. Like, hey, Matt, uh, you're speaking tomorrow. <laughs> what? <laughs> and it was the strangest thing, but I, I remember it like it was yesterday. He asked me to pray. And as soon as he asked me to pray, I instantly am gripped with the reality that everyone in this room, at this table, my family, they had this expectation that the prayer that I was about to pray was going to be good and it was going to be, man, spiritual and it was going to connect with the heavenly father. It's ridiculous. I made prayer about me in that moment. Or have you ever, I've got this roommate that I went to college with and he loves to post on social media, just spending, spending time with the Lord this morning. And he'll take a picture of his Bible and his coffee. And I'm like, okay, like, but I asked him one day, I said, hey, why do you do that? Well, Matt, I just want to be an encouragement. I want to encourage people. And I'm thinking, I'm not encouraged by that. I, I just feel like I'm less than when I see that. Notice what Jesus says. When you pray, don't be like the hypocrites whose motivation is to be seen by others. Instead, he gives us a remedy. Go into your room, close the door. For what you do in secret, your father sees and will reward you. It's all in the setup. 
It's all in the setup. Maybe your prayer life is off simply because your prayers are about you. Don't be like the hypocrites. Verse seven, then he says, and when you pray, don't keep on babbling like the pagans for they think they'll be heard because of their many words, but don't be like them. For your father knows what you need before you ask him. So the pagans here, they're anybody that is not the Jews. Especially in the time that we know that Matthew is written, we know that there was a very Greek crowd there. We know that the Greeks gave us Greek mythology. We know that they were very, very superstitious. They loved their gods. What's interesting about their gods is that in order to get their gods' attention, they tried all kinds of different things, man. They had all kinds of different flowery languages that they had, all kinds of different prayers that they would recite. They wrote songs, books, poems. They threw banquets, anything that they could to get their God's attention. But that wasn't enough. Once they got their God's attention, they then had to impress their God so that they could gain favor with their God so that that God would move on their behalf or answer their prayers. And I just want you to think about that because there's a trickle-down effect with this religious kind of thought that has literally trickled into Christianity. Because I don't know about you, but I have found myself before thinking, I have got to get God's attention somehow. I've got to work my way into his favor. I've got to pray. I've got to close the door. I've got to spend hours and hours and hours on my knees, on my face before the Lord. And I'm not saying that's a bad thing. What I'm saying is you better check your setup. Because if your motivation is off, it doesn't matter how hard you're working. Because let me tell you something. You don't have to impress God. You don't have to gain his favor. He sent Jesus to die for you. What other proof do you need that he loves you? There's nothing you can do. And he says something really confusing. Your father who is in heaven knows what you need before you even ask him. What? If God knows what I need before I ask him, why do I have to ask him? God already knows what I'm going to say. Why am I saying it? I hate being repetitive. I hate wasting my time. Then why do we pray? Again, what if prayer is about something completely different than what we thought it was? I think sometimes we think the more that we pray, the stronger God gets. God's not waiting for our prayers so that he can spiritually supercharge himself. Prayer is a gift that God's given you. So then how do we pray? He says this, this then is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. It's a prayer you've probably heard before. But I want you to notice something that I think gets overlooked really quickly and easily. 
In this prayer, there are six petitions. The first three are directed to God. The last three are from us. Here's what I know about human nature. Here's what I know about you and I. I love me some me. We love to take things that are not about us and make them about us. We love to reverse the order of this prayer. See, that's it's a little thing. But listen, it's all in the setup. These little bitty things. Little things. A little thing like making prayer more about you and what it, God intended it to be can take your heart so far away from your heavenly father. Because when Jesus gives us this model of prayer, what he's not doing is giving us this liturgical thing where we repeat it day after day after day, but rather a model. And the first thing that he does is he gives us these three things, and I think the order is the most important part here. We start with him. We start with him, and then, then we get to us. When we make prayer solely about us, we forget who it is that we're praying to. Listen, we, we get this everywhere. Listen, if you're a parent of a teenager, you, you understand this dichotomy. You know what it's like to grow up in a house and your child loves you and all of a sudden this flip is, the switch is flipped and then you're just an ATM to them? <laughs> they don't even know your name, you know? They're out in public and their friends are like, hey, who's that? And they're like, I don't know. <laughs> they just see you as someone who, hey, dad, I need 20 bucks, man. And you're like, well, what about the love and the shelter and you know, the unconditional favor I give you, son? Dad, you just give me 20 bucks, man. Just, just want to leave. Just want to get out of here. With teenagers, it's all about them. But I think we, we quickly lose what small things in our life. We quickly lose the details of life, don't we? Think about your relationship. Family, friends, your spouses. I mean, how many times have you heard the phrase, the honeymoon stage? When you start a relationship, it is all about that other person. How can I serve them? How can I help them? I will always give them the benefit of the doubt. I will always have their back. I will always see the best in them. That years down the road, we see so many people losing that little thing that made that relationship so special and we make it about ourselves. Well, you didn't do that. You don't care about me. You don't serve me. We make it about us. 
throughout the entire Bible, from the Old Testament all the way through the New Testament, Jesus addresses this very thing. God the Father addresses this very thing. We see it in the Old Testament where God says, hey, man looks at the outward appearance, but God looks at the what? The heart. The entire Sermon on the Mount, while Jesus is taking specific things, the heart of it is always the motivation or the heart of the believer. It's all in the setup. And he's trying to woo us, to bring us back to this place where it all began. Matthew 5, verse 3, the beginning of the famous Beatitudes. Notice what Jesus says. The first thing that as he opens his mouth and teaches, what does he say? He says, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. The poor in spirit. You know what that, believe? You know what that means? I used to think that meant like, you got to be poor if you want to be a Christian. Thank the Lord that's not what it meant. Poor in spirit are those who live with the awareness that they are in need of a Savior. That they don't have the ability to be made right before a holy God. That those of us that live with the awareness that we need a Savior that this is what it looks like to be a follower of Jesus. That if we're going to receive salvation, if we're going to be reconciled with God, if we're going to be forgiven, if our sin is going to be atoned for, we need somebody who can do that. How quickly even the believer forgets what Jesus did for them. How quickly we forget how greatly we were forgiven, how much sin dominated our life, how much, man, we were filled with darkness. There was no hope. How quickly we forget what Jesus did on a cross that God left heaven and he came down to this earth and he was pierced for our transgressions. He was hung on a wooden cross. Not so that we could confuse prayer. Not so that we could confuse this life. Not so that we could be like what we see in this world and make everything about us. But to remember what this is about. So when we pray and Jesus starts the prayer, he says, I want you to start by recognizing who it is that you're praying to. Hallowed be your name. Holy are you, God. Mighty are you, God. Gracious are you, God. And then I want you to surrender your will. Not your will, but his will be done on earth as it is in heaven. God, this is not about what I want. This is not about me. God, I have some needs and I have some prayers. And man, I need to bring these to you because you're the only one. But I want you to know if you don't do that, I'm good. This isn't about that. I want you to know if you decide this is not what I need, I trust you. Because if God only sent his son Jesus to die on a cross to forgive me of my sins, that is enough. 
That's all I need. The rest is up to him. My prayers are not meant to gain favor or attention. There isn't a magical code to unlock the blessing of God on your life. When you're praying and God isn't answering your prayers, it's not because he doesn't love you. My suggestion would be to go back to the setup, to make sure that the basics are where they need to be. Come back to where it started. I love what David says in Psalms 51, restore me to the joy of your salvation, God. The heart of the believer. Prayer is a gift that God's given us. My prayer for you, as we walk through 21 days of prayer and fasting as a church, is that you would come back to why it is that you pray. That you would come back to the realization of what it means to be poor in spirit. That when you pray, you would start with who, with who it is that you're praying to. That when you pray, you would, you would surrender your will and until you can get to a place where you say, God, your will above mine, I will not move on from that point. We'll read Ephesians 2 for you. I love Ephesians 2. It says, And you were dead in your trespasses and sins, in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air and the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom once all lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of our bodies and mind, and were by nature children of wrath, like the rest of mankind. This is who we were. Here's the good news. But God, being rich in mercy because of his great love, which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, he made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved grace you have been saved. Prayer is about surrender. It's a gift that God has given us to put our hearts in line with him. Don't make it about anything else. Yes, we can go to God with our needs. Absolutely. That's not the point of prayer. So here's what I want to encourage you with. If you're frustrated with your prayer life, if you feel like it's not going anywhere, if you feel like you've hit a wall, go back to the setup. Maybe it's something simple. Maybe your motivation has been slightly off. Maybe you've been trying to impress God and gain his favor and you've been working and working and working, not realizing you don't have to work for that. It's a gift. It's freely given. Maybe you've just rushed to the things of you and you made prayer about you and you've forgotten who it is that you've prayed, you're praying to. Start with him. Praise him. Surrender your will. And then if you've got time, then go to him with your needs. That's my prayer for you this, this season.
this year with your faith, that you would realize the power and the gift that prayer really is. Today we're gonna close in a song. And as the worship team sings this song, I just wanna encourage you, use this time as reflection. Ask the Holy Spirit to show you any, any area in your life where you fall short. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for the gift of prayer. Thank you so much for your word. That this word is sharp. That it challenges us. That it speaks to the soul, the heart of the issue. Lord, I pray for anybody in this place that is frustrated, angry, confused. They had a misunderstanding of what prayer was supposed to be. They feel abandoned, not seen, not loved by you. God, I pray in this moment that your word would encourage them, that their Father knows what they need before they ask. Maybe it's our setup. So, God, I pray we come back, we get things right, we put our focus, our attention, our hearts back on you. We love you, Jesus. In your name we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening. If you like the content of this podcast, you're going to love our YouTube channel. Subscribe at youtube.com slash creekwoodchurch for video messages and full services uploaded weekly.